feet as we get ready to go to God's Word. Our challenge, uh, we'll continue preaching uh, through our challenge today as we're looking at Romans, the 12th chapter. And today we're going to read verses 1 through 8 with the majority of our emphasis on verses 3 through 8. The challenge is built off of uh, our theme for the year, which is it's not about me. It's not about me. So during this time, we want to remind ourselves that it's not about us. Amen? Amen? Amen. All right. The uh, precious, authentic, inerrant, powerful, majestic, wonderful word of God reads as follows. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment. In accordance with the measure of faith God has given you, just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophecy, prophesizing, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do so cheerfully. The word of God is blessed. You may be seated. Father, you truly are good. I pray, Lord, that at this time, Lord, that you would give us Jesus. Give us Jesus, Lord. Give us your son. Allow us to see, Father God, how beautiful he is. Allow us to see how liberating your gospel is. Allow us, Father God, to, to see and to imagine and to, to realize, Father God, that life with you is not only possible, but it's near. And that you have given us that life through your son, Father God. Please be glorified, Father. Please feed your people, for your servants are listening. Amen. So today we're going to focus on the third point on our challenge, if you have your worksheets out which we're going to look at servants. We're going to look at how the gospel calls us to be servants. It calls us to be servants. Here's a, a couple quotes, uh, two, that recently have caught my attention about being servants or about giving our lives fully to God. One says, forget yourself and live, for it is more blessed to give than to receive, by A.B. Simpson. Forget yourself and live. 
For it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Another says, and this is a, a, a preacher speaking, he says that his goal in life is to preach the gospel and be forgotten. To preach the gospel and be forgotten. Another quote that has recently caught my attention is, it's not about me. It's not about me. It's not about me. But the quote that should catch all of our attentions as Christians and the quote that we should be constantly remembering and praying that the Lord would allow us to live by is a quote by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, which said, if any man will come after me, he must deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. If any man is going to come after me, he must do what? Deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. Each of those quotes are amazing. Each of them points to how, as Christians, we are to be selfless people. How we are to give ourselves wholly to God. But each of those quotes have something else in common. Is they're difficult to obey. It's not easy living by a mantra that says, forget yourself. Deny yourself. It's not about you. It's not easy living by a mantra that says, pick up your cross and follow me. But the Bible teaches us that, that the Lord gives us the strength to fulfill those. That as we are born again, as, as we are made new by God, that God's Holy Spirit gives us the power, supernatural power, and gives us a taste, and gives us a desire to not live life for ourselves as we walk his way. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, last week, just to recap a little bit, we, we looked at how Paul was basically telling the church at Rome, telling these Christians that he desired to know and to meet, he was telling them this, give your life wholly to God. Give your life completely to God. It says, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your true act of worship or reasonable service. So what does he say? He's saying, give yourself completely to him, all of you, all of you, your dreams, your hopes, your desires, your relationships, your friendships, your ambitions, your fears, your gifts, your talents, your schooling, your pursuits. Give it to them. Give them all of you. Give them all of you. Because that's what true worship is. When we ascribe someone worth, when we say that someone is worthy, when we say that Jesus is worthy, we're saying that you are supremely worth more than anything else Therefore, I submit to you, and I give myself to you. I give myself to you. Then in verse 2, he told us to, don't be conformed to the image of this world. Don't be shaped by the image of this world. Don't let this world take you and shape you to the American dream. Don't allow it to make you selfish. Don't allow it to make you like everyone else. Else, but rather it says, be transformed 
by the renewing of your mind. That word renew in Greek, it literally means to, to, by the renewing of your mind, it literally means to rethink your thinking. It means to redo your thinking, to allow your mind, to allow your thinking to be undone and then redone the correct way. He says, so don't be conformed, don't be shaped into the image of this world, but rather rethink your thinking (laughs) and give your mind, give your thoughts to God wholly and say, God, help me to think your thoughts, help me to have your desires, your ambitions, your dreams, help my relationships to be set up the way you want it to be. And then he says something interesting, something that we all should be really, really interested in. Look at verse 2. He says this, Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. When we allow God to renew our minds, when we plug into God's word and we surrender ourselves to him, he says something dramatic, something incredible happens. And what happens is, is that then you're walking in step and in tune with the Lord. The Lord says a righteous man's steps are what? Ordered by the Lord. Then you can tell which way to go. Then you'll be able to tell, Lord, is this your will or is this your will? The word of God begins to shape our minds so to, to we know, we know what's God's will and what's not God's will. We know what will please him and what doesn't please him. Because he is taking control of our mind. Now, it doesn't mean that we'll be able to tell everything that's going to happen in the future. The word of God, the psalmist says, is like a lamp. It's like a light, a lamp. You only can see your next few steps in front of you. If it's dark, your next few steps. But we walk by faith and not by sight. We walk by faith and not by sight. So Paul was teaching us to be worshipers. He was teaching us that worshipers are learners. Those who worship Jesus are those who are learning from Jesus, those who are his disciples. And now he's going to teach us that as disciples of Jesus, that we are servants. And we really do have to rethink our thinking, especially as American Christians. Because we stay in a culture that glorifies the boss, that glorifies the CEO, that glorifies the person who has a lot of servants. But Jesus comes and doing his ministry in Galilee and Jerusalem and Palestine, he is turning and flipping everything upside down. He is saying that the greatest among you is not the one who lords and hoards things over you. It's not the ones who treat you. It's not like how the Gentiles treat people. But the greatest among you is the one who serves. For the Son of Man did not come. He did not come to be served. God Almighty did not come to be served. The Lord of the universe did not come to have people serving him, but he came to serve. And as Christians, we trust God as we go into his word. We say, Lord, help me to rethink my thinking. Help me to to reorganize my belief system. Help me to to love and to yearn what, what, what your will is. And God says, my will It's not that you make it a goal to be the most respected person. It's not that you make it a goal to have everything and everybody revolve around you. 
But my will is that you would make it your goal to have everybody looking to me and everybody saying, wow, this person is revolving around the Lord. And not only is he revolving around the Lord, this person is giving themselves to others. So Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, to sum it up, God is teaching us to give ourselves wholly to him, completely to him. Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8, God is teaching us to give ourselves completely to each other. Completely to each other. Let's look at how Paul teaches us to be servants. Look at how he starts this off as he's going to motivate this flock to serve the Lord. Verse 3, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, with sober judgment. Paul starts off by teaching us a, a lesson here in verse 3, and it's this, is that servants, true servants, are motivated by the grace and mercy of God. The key to being a servant of the Lord, as we said last week, is, is looking at God's mercy, looking at his grace, and then living from that. Look, look at what Paul says. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you. So Paul is an apostle. Paul has an awesome ministry. He's a very bright guy. The Lord is allowing him to do many things. He hasn't always been that way. He hasn't always been pleasing to the Lord, but the Lord took him. He captivated him. Has the Lord taken anybody and captivated him? He took him and made him his prisoner. And you would think that this accomplished guy, as he is talking to this church, that he would just go straight in and tell him, you ought to not be stuck on yourself. But instead of doing that, Listen to what he says, for by the grace given me, he points to God's grace. He says that the only reason that I am able to talk to you with authority is not because of my position. It's not because I learned the law. It's not because I planted all of these churches. The only authority and the only reason I'm able to stand here before you and to tell you these things is because God has given me grace. Everything that I have is a result of God's giving. It is a free gift. Paul, throughout his epistles, keeps pointing to the fact that he cannot boast in anything but the cross. Anything but the cross. See, grace blows up two things that every single person in his room struggles with. Every human being that has ever lived has struggled with. Grace tears up an attitude of entitlement and an attitude of performance. Entitlement says, I deserve. Entitlement says, I'm, I'm better. You should serve me. Grace, the gospel of grace, the gospel tells us that if you believe that you really don't know yourself and you really don't know God. Paul teaches us in Romans that all of us are so far away from God's standard of goodness and holiness. But entitlement says, I'm good. I'm a good person. The Bible teaches us that there is no such thing as a good person. How in the world is there a such thing as a good person? When we hold up God's law, and what God's requirement for a good person is, none of us even come close. Go and read the Ten Commandments. I guarantee you 
that you have probably broken nine of ten of them. Because I know that I've broken all ten at some point. Say, well, I've never, I've never murdered. By your standards, you've never murdered. James chapter 4 teaches that murder isn't just physically killing someone, but it is harming someone with our words. Huh? With a look. Ooh, some of us are serial. Like serial killers. It blows up entitlement, but it also blows up performance. Performance is a mindset that says, I can earn my salvation. It's an attitude that says, I can, I can do enough things to please God. But see, the problem is, is with God, that you can never do enough things to please God because one wrong mistake puts you in a, uh, uh, separates you from him for all eternity. It only takes one sin. Because God is holy and God is perfect. And every religion teaches that the way that a person is saved, except for Christianity, is by doing something. Is by earning God's favor. Is by earning God's blessing. Is by doing a set of of, of rules or, or things. And Christianity says that that is not what saves you. What saves you is Jesus. Christianity says your salvation is a gift from God if you repent, if you turn and trust and place your life in the hands of Jesus. We can't earn our salvation. So Paul is saying here, for by the grace given to me, for by the free gift of salvation given to me, he's saying, I know that I do not deserve this opportunity to be ministering to you, but by God's grace, I am able to say, and what does he say? He doesn't say to some of you. He says to every one of you, to every one of you, to every single one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought. So the first thing is that our, a servant is motivated by the grace of God. We must be motivated by God's grace and his mercy. We must conclude, like Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10, but by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was within me. Paul said that it, uh, that God's grace, it motivates me, it affects me, so that I want to work harder than everybody else, not because I'm trying to earn it, not because I'm trying to compete with people, but because he's just been so good to me. I don't want to take his, his grace in vain. I don't want to sit on his grace. I don't want to say, God, you gave me this free gift of salvation. Now I'm just going to live any way I want to. But God, I want to live for you because you are amazing and you are awesome. So servants, as servants, we're motivated by God's grace. We're motivated by the fact that God saved us and we did not save ourselves, that he came and got us, that he did not allow us to continue down the dark, sick road that we were traveling, that he canceled our debt and he gave us forgiveness. He said, my child, I don't care what you have done. My child, I don't care how deep your sin goes, how deep your secrets go. If you trust me with your life and and come to me and accept the blood of my son, you are forgiven. That's grace. God's resources at Christ's expense. Grace. Then he continues, he says, servants. Servants should not think of themselves, should think of themselves with sober judgments. Servants think of themselves with 
with sober judgment, with an honest evaluation. Look at the text. Verse 3, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment. Now, this, this term, not, not more highly uh, than you ought, it literally means, it's, it's, it's where we kind of get the word hyper from, it literally means do not be hyper about yourself. <laughs> Paul is telling us don't be hyper about yourself. Don't be self-centered. As my father used to say it when I was growing up, boy, don't get the big head. Don't get the big head. Come back from a basketball game or have an accomplishment and he hear me talking about it too much, he'll come look at me and start looking at my head. Say, from across the room, it looked like your head was growing. If we are going to serve people, if we are going to give ourselves wholly to God, completely to God, and give ourselves completely to other people, it's because we're not allowing ourselves to get the big head. And how do you keep yourself from getting the big head? <laughs> you point back to God's grace and mercy. You say that everything that I have received is a gift from God. Seriously, you don't own anything. I don't own anything. It all belongs to him. Paul says, how can we boast if we're saved by grace? Grace kills boasting. He says, don't get the big head. Don't be hyper about yourself. There's one place in Texas who makes dows. And uh, it's a company that's called My Twin Dow. And you can send them a picture, and they will make a replica dow for you for about 150, 180 bucks. Some people are like, yes, that's what I want. I want a, a dow. I want to cuddle with a dow when I go to sleep that looks like me. That's weird. <laughs> I heard about that. I looked at it. I said, now that is weird. Now, some women are like, that's kind of fun. That's cute. I'm going to get that for my daughter. That's cool, but that's weird to me, right? All right? If I see a grown-up with a dial that looks like themselves when they were little, I'm going to call you out on it. I'm going to say you are being hyper about yourself, right? Paul's saying don't, don't do that. <laughs> don't, don't be high in your, in your own mind. So what does that look like in a church? Someone being, uh, thinking of themselves more highly than they are. I think it, it, it looks like a person who constantly lives and believes that people are lucky to know them. <laughs> We're laughing, right? But a lot of us, we feel that way. My friends are lucky to have me. <laughs> My spouse is lucky that I married them. Now you say, well, that's self-esteem, right? No, that's self-centeredness. Grace tells us that we're blessed. We're blessed that God has given us the gifts that we have, that he's given us the smile that he has, that he's given us the, the, the care that we have. So walking around and feeling like everybody's lucky that we're in their life, that's arrogant. Or I'm the best, right? Some people live with that mantra that I'm the best or I'm the answer. If they only listen to me, their life would be a lot better. Right? That's what it means to think of yourself more highly than you are. If everybody would only listen to me, their lives would be, it'll be straight. Now, some people really do believe that they are the fourth member of the Trinity. Right? Going to get to heaven, and all of a sudden, God's going to be like, 
Come up, my child. <laughs> this is Jesus. This is the Holy Spirit. This is me, and this is you. And we're going to surprise all of your friends when they make it to heaven. You know how on CDs, how they have bonus tracks? You have 13 tracks, and then all of a sudden you figure out, you, oh, man, it's an extra track. Could you imagine getting to heaven and one of your friends was like the extra member of the Godhead? And they look at you like, I told you you should have listened to me. I told you. Surprise, right? Paul's saying, don't, don't be hyper about yourself. Don't think of yourself in terms that you shouldn't. But rather, he says, think of yourself with sober judgment. So he's not telling us to have low self-esteem. We should have a proper view of ourselves. I'm not going to use the uh, psychological term or a term of psychology by saying self-esteem, but we need to have God-esteem. We need to see ourselves as being in Christ. We're going to talk about that in a second, but look at this. The other end of the spectrum is, is a high view of yourself. The other end of the spe uh, spectrum is a low view of yourself. It's self-pity. Paul is saying, have sober judgment. Don't be high on yourself, but don't live in self-pity as well. A person who has self-pity says, you know, I'm not good enough. I don't serve the church or I'm not involved in the church because I don't have anything to offer. Or I'm not as gifted as this person, so I'm not going to say anything. Or they're, they're constantly looking at their lives and saying, Lord, if you had only made me this way, then I would serve you, but, but I'm goofy. I'm the Paul Blart of, uh, of Christianity. Y'all ever seen Paul Blart, Mall Cop? Talk about it later, amen. I'm constantly goofing up. Woe is me. But here's the kicker. Here's the kicker. Having a high view of yourself and having a low view of yourself are both pride. Y'all with me? See, a high view of yourself says everything revolves around me because I'm so good. A low view of yourself says I wish that everything would revolve around me, but I'm, but I'm not good. It's still putting the attention back on yourself. It's, it's putting the attention back on yourself, the spotlight back on yourself, and God is calling you today. He's saying, think of yourself with sober judgment. The reason why your ministry, the reason why your, your life has not uh, uh, been, been pleasing to God or wholly fulfilling to God as a living sacrifice is maybe it's because you're just thinking down on yourself and you constantly are, have the spotlight on you. God is saying, it's not about you, it's about my son. Stop, rethink your thinking. Stop. Maybe someone has, maybe you were raised by parents who, who, who didn't encourage you, who constantly battered you Every time you did something wrong, you say, I have low self-esteem. Or maybe it's the reverse, and you had parents who told you you were the greatest basketball player in the world, even while you were riding the bench. <laughs> Whatever the case, God is saying, rethink your thinking. Do not be conformed to the image of this world, but be what? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He says, rethink your thinking. How do we rethink our thinking if we have high self-esteem or low self-esteem? It's by not thinking about our personal esteem, but esteeming Christ. It's by looking at what God has done in his words. It's by looking at chapters like Psalms 139, which says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are fearfully and wonderfully, intricately woven. But you don't let that lift your head up or you don't walk with your head down. You keep your eyes on Christ. And this is what God says about me. This is what God says about me. And this is a gift from God. I didn't make myself this way. 
You think about stuff like uh, uh, Titus chapter 2, where God talks about how he renewed us and gave us a, a rebirth in Jesus Christ. How we, uh, second, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, how we are new creations, new creatures. Got low self-esteem, you start speaking truth to yourself through Christ. Through Christ, I am a new creation. I have been adopted. Romans chapter 8, I have been adopted into a new family. I can call my father Abba. I am special and precious to my father. He has given me a new family, a new life. He has given me new grace. I am somebody. Not in myself, but I am somebody in Christ. You fight that self-pity. You rethink your thinking by driving your head and your heart to God's word. I don't care what no one has ever told you. God loved you so much that he allowed his son to die in your place. And he gave you a free gift of eternal life and life with him. Think of yourself with sober, sober judgment. Some of us, we do. We need a spiritual breathalyzer. Huh? Y'all know what a breathalyzer is. Some of us, more than others. Right? We do. We need to start checking people with spiritual breathalyzers. When we sense that someone is making everything about them in the church, or someone is saying that they can't do something because they're nobody, we need to give them that spiritual breathalyzer. Blow, blow in this. Now let's go to God's word. You're a little, you're a little high up on this meter. You're a little low on this meter. Start looking at yourself. The Bible says that you are in Christ. You are in Christ. Don't think more highly of yourself. Don't think less highly of yourself. Renew your mind. Take that stinking thinking. Give it to the Lord. Say, Lord, I'm yours. I'm yours. I don't have anything to offer. God says, you, you're right, you don't, but I do through you. You start reading the book of Acts, and you'll see that God didn't use seminary students. He didn't use Ph.D. candidates to turn the world upside down. God used fishermen, thugs, and ordinary people. Romans chapter 12, verse 4 through 8. So God shows us here that a servant is motivated by grace, the grace and mercy of God, and servants think of themselves with sober judgment, honest evaluation. And in verses 4 through 8, we learn that servants, as servants of Christ, that we, we belong to each other. As servants of Christ, we belong to each other. We belong to each other. Verse 4, just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so... What's that? In Christ. We are in Christ. We're not in ourselves. We are in Christ. We who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We'll stop right there. That, that's an amazing group of scriptures. So, so Paul continues, and he gives us what I think is a perfect analogy. The Holy Spirit gave Paul a perfect analogy. He says that each of us are just like our natural bodies. We're a part of the body of Christ each of us. We're a part of the body of Christ. You are a member of a body. And what does he say? And these members do not all have the same function. Self-explanatory. Your hand cannot listen to your iPod. Right? 
No one here is talking out of their ear. Every person, every member has a different function. So in Christ, we who are many, we form what? One body. And each member belongs to the other. In Western culture, we are so individualized. In the world, in many parts of the world, where everybody just sees themselves as an individual. I'm me. I have my social security number. You have your social security number. You live your life. I live mine. Was yours is yours, and was mine is yours. No, just joking. Was yours is yours, <laughs> right? Was mine's, I mean, it's just so individualized. But see, God is calling us to rethink our thinking, to redo our thinking on his terms. When we are born into the family of God, he wipes away this individualistic mindset. He says it is no longer just you by yourself. If I was to have Minister Bishop come up here with a saw and I was to say, could you saw my, my hand off? Uh, a few would yell, yes, we've been waiting for that. But most would say no. Right? Why? Because a hand separate from the body could, could result in death. Right? Well, when we become saved, sanctified, set apart for God's purpose, it's the same way. God is saying that you are not an individual. You are part of my body. What does he say? Each of you belongs to each other. You belong to me. I belong to you. Look at your neighbor. That person's next to you. If they are in Christ, they belong to you. They belong to you. God says we're not just people who are now just living our own lives on our own terms. No, we're living on God's terms and we're living life with each other. Now, that feels weird. Why does that feel weird? Because we're used to living life on our own terms. We're used to saying, this is my house. I earned it. But what does grace do? Grace takes it away. This is my car. I'm not giving you a ride in it because your babies are going to eat and mess it up. Grace says, it's not yours. It belongs to the body of Christ. This is my gift to teach. I own it. I can use it when I want to on my terms. God says, nope, it's not yours. It belongs to each other. You don't own anything. I don't own anything. Christ owns us. And he says, live life together as one. As one. Are you living that way? When you come through these doors on Sunday morning, do you see the other people as belonging to you. Not belonging to an establishment called Forest Baptist Church, but belonging to the ecclesia, to the church. When you walk by your brother and sister in Christ in the hallway, do you see them as, as you see your fingers as a part of you? You're supporting them and they're supporting you. Or do you see yourself as an individual that comes and leaves and has their own prerogative. God says there is no Bobby Browns in the church. Your business is my business. My business is your business. Your failures is my failures. My failures is your failures. Your pain is my pain. My pain is your pain. We are one body. 
And that's just not here at Forest Baptist Church. That's when you see someone at the grocery store that you know is a faithful member of another church and that's walking out the gospel. But what kills us from having a we belong to each other attitude? Envy. Envy. Looking at someone else's gifts, wishing that we had it. Being mad at God or mad at the other person. Competition. God says, there is no competition in me. We are all one. Could you imagine if your right foot started competing with your left foot for attention? That'd be weird. But yet that's exactly how the body of Christ look. Competing with each other. We're one and we've been given one purpose. And that's to grow in Christ together and go get people who are lost. It's not about you. It's not about me. He says, think of yourself, think of yourself with sober judgment. Are you sober today? Some of us, we run into church on Sunday, and as soon as the benediction is over, we run out. Sunday school, poof. Wednesday, poof. fellowshipping after church, mm-mm. why? Because we think that we belong to ourselves. God is saying you do not belong to yourself. You belong to people who have been purchased by one who was slain. You belong to me. And I have a mission for you. I have a mission for this church. I have a mission for my church. And the only way that that mission is going to work, well, is if the body of Christ recognizes that they're not competing against each other and they're not distant cousins, that we are family, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. A lot of us, we have keys, right? And this key train, I have a lot of keys that look like each other. A lot of keys that look like each other. But I can't just take a key that looks like the other key and think I'm going to open my house door. Only one key was made specifically in a specific way to turn that knob. God says, if you are a member of Forest Baptist Church, on Sunday morning, yeah, you may look like everyone else because you have your suit on or your dress on or you know the church language. But he's saying, I've brought you to this church. I have allowed you to go through what you've gone through, your ups and your downs, your pains, your sorrows. I've allowed you to experience those because there's something in you that this body needs. And only you can turn the door of someone else's life and give them that grace. But you run out every day, every Sunday. And you don't want to get to know people. You want to get in and get your message and leave or get your song on and leave. God is saying, but what if I want to use your testimony? What if I want to use that pain that you have? What if I want to use that, that dirt that you used to have to free somebody else, to open up a door in their lives? All of life is grace. Our ups and our downs. It's, it's, it's really a gift from God. Romans 8, 29, uh, 28 says all things work together for the good of what? Those who love the Lord. Even our pain, even though we don't experience it and we don't know now, God is going to use that if we put our faith and trust in him to do more with it than we ever could have done without that pain. 
What is God doing? Romans 8, 29, he is conforming you to the image of his son. And he wants to use you. He wants to use vessels like me, broken people, to conform other people to the image of his son. You have something that I need. You have something that your neighbor needs. You have something that an usher needs, that a choir member needs. Don't sit on it. Don't allow Satan to, to have you thinking highly of yourself. And don't allow him to have you thinking low of yourself. Self-pity. It's selfishness. Self-exaltation is selfishness. Why? Because it's centered around self. God says, look to my son. Find your identity in him. Meditate on my grace. Meditate on my mercy. And be a part of a movement. That's what Christianity used to be. It used to be a movement. It wasn't static. It was dynamic. It was moving. Acts chapter 2, it was moving. People came to Christ, and the Bible says that they belonged to each other. They had, all, they had all things equal. Nobody had an attitude except to Ananias, Sapphire. We see what happens to them. But they said, mine is yours. Yours is mine. And what happened? We're sitting here today. We're sitting here today because 3,000 people gave in to what the teachings of Jesus said, which said, your life belongs to me, and my life belongs to you. Your house belongs to me, and my house belongs to you. Fellowship was happening in each other's house. They were eating bread together, praying together, reading scripture together. Why? Because they loved Jesus. Why? Because they loved the one who was resurrected. They believed that Jesus was resurrected. And Satan has us living individual lives, compartmentalizing our life. This is for church and this is the rest of my life. And what's happening is some of us, we are going through some deep, dark things and we are entangled in some sins and we are experiencing broken relationships because we are disconnected from the body and we are not being nourished and comforted by the body. And God is saying, be comforted by the body. Get over your self-exaltation. Get over your self-pity. Humble yourself and say, guys, I'm broken. I need help. My life is falling apart. I need your help. What do you have? You have something that's in you for me. You have something that's in you for me. Read this and we'll sum up real quick. We have different gifts according to grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributed to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. God is saying, whatever is in you, do it. Be it. Be it for the body of Christ. You know, we get so caught up in, and some people do anyway, in spiritual gifts, for those of you who, who don't know what that is. That's a teaching and a belief that the Bible stands on, that, that we each have been gifted for something. When Christ died, Ephesians says that, that he left gifts for the church. But sometimes we worship spiritual gifts by, by saying, I don't know my spiritual gifts, so I'm not going to do anything. Or we say, I'm going to take a little test and whatever that is, then that's what I'll do. But, but how do you know what your spiritual gift is? Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says it. If you renew your mind, if you get in the word, God will reveal it to you. You'll, you'll know your will. Just get busy. Just get busy. Just give yourself to people. Love people and God will reveal. God will reveal it to you. Why, what's so spiritual about a spiritual gift? This is what's spiritual about a spiritual gift. If you're a teacher, a teacher before they came to Christ, they had a gift of teaching. Students loved them. They did a good job. Once they come to Christ, they now have the Holy Spirit on the inside of them. God 
can take that same gift now, but use it to give grace to others. That's what makes it spiritual is the Holy Spirit takes it and uses it for God's glory. So maybe it's something you're naturally gifted in. Use it for God's glory. But don't stop there. Say, Lord, you, you've made me new. What else do I have to discover? We should be just discovering stuff in the Lord. Listen, God has called you to give your life wholly to him, completely to him, and to give your life completely to those around you. You don't belong to you. Your social security number is not those digits that you, you have on your card. That's not what God is looking at. Your number now is John 3.16. Your number now is, is, is Romans 8.28, 8.29. Your number now is, is the word of God. It's the body of Christ. Go and serve somebody. Specifically, how does this work out in our challenge? Look at your, your flyers. Look at your flyers. As we look at servants, what we're going to try to do here, um, this is doing 21 days, we want us to focus on how God has made us servants, on how God has made us servants. So we got down here, the way that this looks for the challenge is to do a service project for someone, right? Maybe there's a seasoned saint or, or someone you know who has a problem getting down or who you just want to bless, say, hey, how can I bless you in the next 21 days? Maybe I can do spring cleaning for you. Like, what? I don't do spring cleaning for myself. Look at your neighbor and say, get the attention off of you. Get it off of you. Get it. Get it off of you. Say, I too much. Be careful. Idols and idolatry starts with I. Give yourself to someone. Serve someone. says, bake neighbors cookies, help a seasoned saint with spring cleaning, use your gifts to serve others. My wife uh, was talking to a young lady who bakes some neighbors uh, some cookies. She's a believer, and she just wanted to reach out to her neighbors. Your neighbors need Jesus. Your neighbors need Jesus. She reached out to her neighbors, uh, knocked on her neighbor's door, had this whole spill, worked out in her mind what she was going to say, and she, the neighbor's uh, husband opened the door, and he received the, the cookies or the, the goods. And she said, I just want to let you know that I'm your neighbor. And uh, I love Jesus and I love you. And she thought about it like, man, I just told another man I love him. So she was so embarrassed that she just ran upstairs as quick as she could. Told her husband, I just made a complete fool out of myself. Shortly after, the gentleman came up with his wife. They weren't believers. And just let, let her know that they uh, are not believers, but that meant the world to them. That was a bridge for them to get to know. And some of you sitting here, I can never do that because I don't know enough about Jesus. What are you doing? Self-pity. Get your eyes off of you and put your eyes on Jesus. You can do all things through Christ Jesus. You got a testimony, tell it. Unlock that door. Close with this. In the Gospels, we see two accounts of a basin, of a basin. A basin is something that you wash in, very popular uh, back in the first century. We see Pilate with a basin, and he washes his hands, has a decision to make, let Jesus free 
or have him be crucified. And he gave in to what the people wanted, and he washed his hands. That's how he used that basin. A few chapters before, we see Jesus with a basin. But Jesus uses it differently. Jesus washes the disciples' feet. Today, you have a choice before you. You are accountable to God's word. If you are in Christ, if you say, Lord, help me to see that I belong to everyone else and wash people's feet, or you can walk away and wash your hands. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for your word. Please work in our, our lives and our hearts and help us to see. Help us to see how wonderful you are. Help us to see that you have made us your servants by your son's blood. In Jesus' name, amen.